Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We've got a very special guest coming up in segment four, SportsSense, Eric Spolstra. He is the new head coach of the Miami Heat. He's the youngest head coach in all of the NBA, 37 years old, and he is handpicked by Pat Riley to lead the Miami Heat out of their doldrums. They only won 15 games last year, so Spolster is going to have quite a task on his plate, but I think he's up for it. He's a pretty unique coach, and we'll talk about that with him in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, I wanted to have Eric Spolster on for a few reasons, but number one, you know, he kind of reminds me, he's like NBA coach 2.0. This is a guy who Pat Riley walks into his office one day and says, hey, uh, I need you to be my video coordinator. He'd never done video before, but he learned how to do it. This is a guy, he's a well-read guy, and when I think of him, I think of guys like Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, uh, Daryl Morey from the Rockets. I know these are all GMs, but this is a guy who's a numbers guy. He's a quantitative guy. He's really good with people, and he just seems like this new breed, new generation of NBA coach. Well, he's a student of the game. He studied under Riley for over a decade, and anytime you put that sort of commitment into one coach and learning everything there is to know about the game at 37, which is just a little bit younger than you, Brian, not to date you at all, hey. but I love this. You're right. Theo Epstein, all that. I think he can be a fantastic coach, and I think it's a great passing of the torch. Hopefully the Heat's record will be a little bit better next year. I'm optimistic that it will. Well, and as things stand right now, they have the number two pick in the upcoming draft. Derek Rose, Michael Beasley, the two prizes. If they get one of those guys, they're going to get better in a hurry. Lots of headlines coming up. We're going to talk about the ratings from the 92nd Indianapolis 500 last weekend, as well as the Coca-Cola 600. Also, Ratings for the NBA playoffs and the NHL Stanley Cup. I'll give you a hint. Things are trending upward. We've got lots of headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the 92nd Indianapolis 500 last Sunday. 
featured a win by IRL driver Scott Dixon. Nathan, ratings for the race up. And, you know, it just seems in general like interest for this race was higher than it has been in many years. Well, yeah, the race earned a 4.5 fast national Nielsen rating on ABC. The race was, of course, on from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern. The rating was up 4.7% from a 4.3 last year in which driver Dario Franchitti won the range-shortened event. Meanwhile, Fox's coverage of the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series Coca-Cola 600 earned a 4.7 fast national Nielsen rating from 5.45 to 10.15 p.m. It's up 4.4% from a 4.5 last year. So it's the fifth time that NASCAR uh, has outrated the Indy race since 2002. 275,000 people filled the racetrack at Indianapolis. That is a ton of people. About uh, how many people were at the uh, Coca-Cola race? About 160,000. So lots of people watching auto racing in person last weekend. Bobby, our auto racing expert, what was your take on the uh, races? You know, I, I we sat here and watched the Coca-Cola 600 together, and I know that we had talked about each watching Indy early in the morning. My note that I found was highly interesting. The infield at Indianapolis was full of people. First time in like 20-some years they had the overflow put them in there. It looked like a NASCAR event to me. You see some of the bigger tracks and even the short tracks, you get the whole group of the people, the beer-drinking boys with the RVs, on the inside, having a good old time. You're seeing that now with the IRL and IndyCar. Mark my words, a couple years, Indy will be back higher ratings than the Coke 600. And do you think it's primarily because of Danica? What's the increased interest in the IRL, and why are so many people coming out when, uh, you know, in the last few years, Danica's had some interest, but, you know, it's not like we've seen these kinds of numbers on TV and in person. I really think it was the unification between Champ Car and IRL now. Now you can truly say this is the one series that has the best open-wheel drivers in the world racing for it. Yes, there are guys like Paul Tracy from Champ Car who was their big name that's not racing now. He might be down the road. You still have, you know, Formula One coming, but the thing with Formula One is it's so much international exposure, you don't see a lot of it over here in the States, and I think that people now, open-wheel fans, are going to gravitate back to Indy and the IndyCar series. Our next headline, NBA playoff ratings and, my lord, even NHL Stanley Cup ratings up. Uh, NBA playoff ratings, you know, they continue to go up round after round, and Nathan... Even Versus is putting some big numbers up. Well, it doesn't mean that we're going to jump on board with Versus, but Versus did earn a 1.8 coverage area rating with 2,351,000 viewers for Penguins Red Wings Stanley Cup Finals Game 1 on uh, last Saturday, up 157% from a point seven that only had about 800,000 viewers for the Duck Senators game in 07. So, shocking, but there is a little bit of interest in the NHL, and you have to think, Maybe is it Sidney Crosby? Well, I think it is. I mean, Game 2 had even better ratings, and then Game 3 moved to NBC. So, uh, But it's got to be Sidney Crosby. I mean, Detroit went up 2 nothing, but then in Game 3, Sidney Crosby has two goals. You know, really, it was the biggest game of his life. He's in the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time, and Sid the Kid came through in, in flying colors. And this guy is to hockey, is Tiger Woods is to golf. I mean, really, if there's going to be any kind of a rebirth in the NHL, Sidney Crosby is going to be leading the way. Well, and he's a young guy. He's a kid, like you just said. And get this. The 1.8 rating was versus highest ever national rating for an NHL game. 1.8 is the highest rated NHL game, and that's that's still pretty low in retrospect. Well, and we're going to talk later in the show about the spelling bee. The spelling bee gets a much better rating than a 1.8 over the last few years. 
Our next headline. NBA playoff games have been taken off the air by China's state television network because they are considered too entertaining for a nation still recovering from the earthquake that rocked the nation. So all entertainment in China was basically stopped for three days of national mourning for the victims of a 7.9 magnitude earthquake. Uh, Nathan, this is an odd story. I mean, I was over in China. The NBA is a big deal over there. But basically... The government, and remember, this is a communist nation, the government decides, hey, NBA basketball, too entertaining. You know, this nation is somber and we're in a state of mourning, so no NBA playoffs for you. Well, I don't want to sound like I'm an insensitive, but we all remember when 9-11 happened, one of the things that helped people get back on the track to their regular lives was sporting events. They had something to be passionate about, and I think shutting down any entertainment, not just limited to sports— I mean, that's pretty tough. People want to cheer up again, and if you're going to mourn all the time with nothing to get your mind off of what's just happened, I don't think that's fair. No, I don't think it is either, but uh, that's what happens when you're dealing with a communist country. Hopefully, they're not listening to this radio show, because if they do, they may censor us and change things, kind of like they did when I uh, was on my blog over there, and I'd wake up the next morning, and my blog posting would be gone. I just, uh, you can tell I'm not a big fan of uh, the censorship. Our next headline, Comcast Sportsnet reported this week that the Blackhawks and Red Wings of Detroit are expected to play at Wrigley Field in January in the NHL Winter Classic. This instead of playing at Yankee Stadium. That makes a lot of people happy because it was rumored this Winter Classic, if it took place at Yankee Stadium, would be the last event ever at Yankee Stadium. Baseball purists like yourself, Nathan, were not happy with that at all. I think a game at Wrigley Field would be kind of cool, and we saw the raging success of the game between Buffalo and Pittsburgh this past New Year's that came down to a shootout with Sidney Crosby uh, scoring the winning goal. Well, yeah, and I completely agree about Yankee Stadium. You don't have the last sporting event in Yankee Stadium be a hockey game. It's got to be a baseball game, and what better place to see an outdoor hockey game Then Wrigley Field, you know, the one that was in Buffalo uh, about a year ago, that's a huge stadium. Wrigley is very intimate. Can you imagine being in the bleachers right there? You might even get a puck in the face. That is, I mean, what a fantastic idea. And this is why the NHL, their ratings slowly are creeping up is because they're starting to do more things like this. Well, as we've said, we've kind of joked around on this show. Maybe they should play every game outdoors. I'd go to more games. I think a lot of people would. Our next headline, Microsoft. In the expansion MLS Seattle Sounders Football Club, this week signed a five-year jersey sponsorship deal. That's worth about $20 million, this according to the Wall Street Journal. The phrase Xbox 360 Live will appear on the front of the jerseys when the club begins play next March. The deal is a huge deal, and it's going to include some signage at the uh, facility and other things, but Nathan... Paul Allen is one of the owners of this team. He also happens to be the co-founder of Microsoft. So it's not a huge surprise that this deal came together. But for the MLS, this is big, big money deal. Well, I'm typically not a big fan of plastering advertising all over athletes or fields for that matter. But to me, 
This makes it seem more authentic. When you watch European teams play, there is advertising all over them. So actually, ironically, I think that this is pretty cool to see a very European look. It makes it more authentic to me seeing the Xbox 360 live on Well, and in the MLS, it's pretty uh, standard that you're going to see sponsors all over the MLS jerseys. So it's not a surprise that this new team looking for a sponsor gets this deal. But it's a very lucrative deal, $20 million. That's pretty darn good. I mean, when you consider that some of these franchises are valued at $40 million, to get a $20 million for your jerseys, that's incredible. Our last headline of the week, the FBI has questioned country singer Mindy McCready, one of Bobby Corser's favorites, who allegedly had an affair with Roger Clemens as it investigates whether Clemens perjured himself before a congressional committee, this according to the New York Daily News. They said, you know, they reportedly met in 1991. McCready was 15 at the time. And the reason she's relevant, according to this report, is because she spent 15 years in a relationship with Roger Clemens and probably knows a lot about Roger's associates and activities. This is why the FBI is interested in, in speaking with her. I, I've heard this story before about a couple hundred years ago when it was called the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. That's exactly what this is all about. I mean, they're chasing This is ridiculous. So you think that Roger Clemens is completely innocent, and them talking to Mindy McCready is way off base. Yeah, absolutely. He's not innocent. I don't think he's innocent, but come on. If he's having an affair with McCready, do you really think he's sharing all of his personal training attributes? No, not at all. He's having an affair with her for other reasons. I think we can agree on that, right? Well, I think we can agree on that, but I think during 15 years of a relationship with someone, you get to know them inside and outside of uh, the... uh, the place of intimacy, let's say. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's a fair it's fair game for the FBI to talk to her. You think that this, this crazy witch hunt is valid? I wouldn't even call it a witch hunt. I don't think it's a witch hunt. I think Roger Clemens, just like Barry Bonds, listen, they questioned Barry Bonds' ex-girlfriend who he had an affair with for a long time about him. Listen, if you guys want to run Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, then they're going to keep chasing you. Not just the media, but the FBI, Congress, everyone else. So... Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about the NBA a little bit. We'll also talk some French Open tennis, which will make Nathan happy. But the NBA has a new flopping rule, and we're going to talk about that rule and how it could affect play on the court. We need to use that rule with you when I play with you. Ooh, I don't flop. And then later in our SportsCent segment, segment four, Eric Spolstra. He's the brand-new coach of the Miami Heat. That's coming up later. But next, French Open and NBA news. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. See you in a minute. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. (laughs) 
<laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and a reminder coming up in our next segment, Eric Spolstra, the new head coach of the Miami Heat. All right, the NBA announced to its teams this week, this is interesting, Nathan, at its annual pre-draft camp that fines are going to be imposed on players starting next season for clear cases of flopping. This according to ESPN.com. The league office has yet to determine exact fine amounts for offending flops and how fines might escalate for repeat offenders, but in-game arena observers and video reviewers will be instructed to report instances of theatrical flopping for potential punishment as part of post-game reports on officiating and other matters. This, my friends, is ridiculous. I think there's a lot of flopping going on in the league, but, you know, how in the world are you going to gauge which is a theatrical flop and which is an actual charge? Is this going to make it so people don't want to take charges? I mean, I can say this. It's a good thing that Vlade Divac is retired because if he had not retired, he would be literally the king of the flop. He'd be broke. Yeah, and he if would anybody should be getting fined for flopping, it's soccer players and not basketball players. Right. I mean, every time you see a soccer, he could trip over his own feet and he'd go down and look like he's in just a horrific amount right. of pain. Yeah. As much as I want to disagree with you on this, I, I agree. There's flopping that goes on every single game when they slow it down and you see the elbow just miss their nose by a quarter inch and they fall over. But it's a referee's game, so you either have instant replay or you don't. Well, like Manu Ginobili of the Spurs, he's a big flopper. Tony Parker, big. I mean, I think the Spurs might be in trouble with this flop rule. But here's the thing that's interesting. In the NBA playoffs, if you get six technical fouls during the playoffs, once you get your seventh technical foul, you're suspended. So are they going to do the same for flopping? All right. If you get six flops, then on the seventh flop, you get suspended and fine. I mean, how are they going to – is it going to be you're fine for every flop? Is there going to be any leeway? Who's going to judge the flopping? Is it going to be a two-day lull between the flop? Are, you going to, are they going to go back and look at tape the same way they do about fouls and go, hold on, you're right, that was a foul – and by the way, he flopped. Well, and I want to start a new career. I'm done with radio. I want to be a flop judge. I want to find out. I want to be one of the people that gets to decide who's flopping and who's not. And I want to know. I'm going to call the NBA next week, and I'm going to say, where are you hiring for the flop judges, and how do I sign up? And then I'll send videotape to the NBA of you flopping every time that we play basketball together and say, look, this guy is a proven I know what I'm it. talking about. Exactly. And I think Vlade Divac should be the commissioner of flopping. I really do. I mean, this is a guy, and, and Manu Ginobili should be the deputy commissioner. He should be like the Adam Silver of the flop league. Well, it'll be interesting to see who gets the most flops next season. Who, who would your guess be right now? I, I'd have to go with Ginobili. I mean, I just think that he's the leader in the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, just like Rashid Wallace is known for technical fouls, I think that Manu is the guy who's a, a flopper. I He's think, a great player, but he can flop with the best of them. I think it's Tony Parker. They're both on the Spurs, but I think it's Tony Parker. You know, when he, he, his facial expressions, aside with the theatrics, make him the winner, I think. All right, let's talk about uh, – Bobby, you have something to say about flopping. Go ahead. Kobe. You think Kobe is not going to be the king of the flopping. I think he is. No, there's no way. Kobe is even – he's so graceful and athletic that he will find a way to make a flop look like it's not a flop. So that's what I have to say about that. Speaking of Kobe, if you guys – and we have to put this on our website, on my blog. Have you seen the viral video that's going around of Kobe jumping over 
The snake with pit. the jackass guys. It's a great Fantastic. video, and it was done by the guys at Zambezi Inc. who we've had on this show before. It is amazing to see the transformation that's taken place for Kobe Bryant in the last few years. I mean, we all remember the incident in Colorado and his trial, and how many sponsors dropped him. Well, now he's picked up by Coca Cola. He's with Nike. He's got these viral videos going around. They're getting millions and millions of hits on YouTube between the snake one and the one of him jumping over the Aston Martin. And people are seeing Kobe in a different light now. And that's why he's becoming much more marketable to endorsers. And uh, it's just uh, he's done a 180 from a few years ago. Someone obviously talked to him and said, Kobe, lighten up a little bit. Show some more of your personality. Have fun with the jackass guys and do things like that. Winning the MVP certainly doesn't hurt your cause either. Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I like Kobe Bryant. I like him better now than I did before. But you're right about showing a different side to Kobe. We saw that side with Tiger Woods when he did the Buick commercial. We saw it after Tiger lost his father. We saw the human side of these athletes, which is what fans connect to. It makes them seem like they're connected to the athlete. They're not so distant. They're not a player on the TV screen. But they're, in fact, a regular guy hanging out with the jackass characters. You'd like to hang out with a jackass. Those look I like am real, a jackass. Th- those look like real snakes. I'm pretty sure they were real. I think they probably were. They were garter snakes, probably. I don't believe Kobe's dunk was real, even though he's saying it is. But, that uh, wasn't real. It was really good. Uh, special and, effects. Yeah, I don't know what kind of special effects they call those, but uh, it, it was pretty good. All right, French Open. Let's talk some French Open tennis. I know some of our listeners may go to sleep at this time, but Nathan oh, is forcing me to talk tennis for at least a few minutes. I will say this. Uh... The French Open, definitely, I think, the hardest of the four majors. I mean, playing on clay, especially for the men. I mean, try beating Nadal. That guy is money on clay. Well, here's the thing. The French Open, as far as American fans are concerned, is the least important. It's the most boring to watch. Clay is very slow. The points are very long, and there's not a lot of excitement. Now, the problem is, is Americans never do well at the French Open. Very rarely. Agassi did well. Courier did well. Chang won it when he was 17. But Andy Roddick pulls out before the French Open. We see James Blake, the only other recognizable American fan or American player to the casual fan at number seven. He goes out early this week. So what does that leave? That leaves your top players who aren't American left in the draw and who people don't really want to watch. People in America... They want to see Americans doing well. And that what about is the why, Williams sisters? They're still in it, aren't But they? I think that men's tennis is still carrying the casual fan. I think the Williams sisters draw attention. I totally disagree. I, I don't. I think that a men's tennis, when you see, if you're watching Andy Roddick or you're watching Venus Williams, I think that more people are interested in watching Andy Roddick than they are Venus Williams. Maria Sharapova has more of an interest in the casual fan than the, than the Williams sisters do on the American side. I think Maria Sharapova, I'd rather watch her, uh, Anna Ivanovich or whatever her name is. I mean, you know, this uh, Ashley Harkle Road. That's because they're easy on the and eyes she, Well, you. and Ashley Harkle Road is posing in Playboy coming up. I mean, that's interesting. She will become the first tennis player to ever pose for Playboy magazine. But the point is this, is that I think some of the casual fans out there, especially in the male 18 to 54 demographic, would much rather watch those three women that I just named, then Rafael Nadal in his okay. muscle shirt Hold around. on, but that's like watching an NBA basketball game for Aaron Andrews, okay? I think and players, we're going to talk about that coming I, up. I, I know we are, and I think that people that really want to watch exciting tennis, I love watching women's tennis, but if they want to watch the big hitters like Andy Roddick, they're going to watch that for the tennis element. Sharapova, Ivankovic, they're going to watch them for the looks. I hate to say it.
And there's a cool event called Roland Garros in the city that's coming up. They're doing it in the streets of Paris. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to have the big screens there. They do this at a lot of the events in New York for the U.S. Open, in Melbourne at the Australian Open. So it's cool that they're doing something there in Paris that the uh, people who can't get into the venue, because tickets are really hard to come by. It's kind of like Wimbledon, almost impossible to get a ticket My for the French Open. My dad paid 300 bucks on the street just to see a match at Roland Garros. Wow. Coming up next, Eric Spolstra. He is the new head coach of the Miami Heat. We're going to talk with him. Youngest coach in the NBA at age 37. But this guy is a boy wonder for many people. Handpicked by Pat Riley to succeed him in Miami. Eric Spolster coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Hey, Eric, congratulations on your appointment as the new Miami Heat head coach. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. So, Eric, you've taken a really interesting path to become the head coach of the Miami Heat. Can you tell us and our listeners the story of how you met Pat Riley and, and really how you got started in the coaching business? Well, uh, it was really my first job with the Heat, and I started out, it was 13 years ago. I was hired pretty much for the summer. Dave Wool hired me, and I was working in the video department and uh, working on the draft, a little bit of free agency, with the option of hopefully being able to extend into the following year. But uh, as people remember, Pat Riley didn't even get hired until uh, late August or early September. It was right before training camp, and uh, he could not bring his staff down from New York. So I remember uh, he came into my office one day. I had barely even met him, you know, and uh, he said, hey, Dan, you're doing the video. Can you be the video coordinator? Can you do this job? To be honest, I had really no idea what that even meant. I just said, yeah, absolutely, you got your guy. And, uh, you know, 13 years later, survived and uh, got to the point uh, where I am right now. What a great story and what confidence you must have had uh, in yourself to basically say, well, I haven't done this job before, but I'm going to do it somehow because I want to keep within this organization. Yeah, maybe uh, confidence or just absolutely totally naive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, I really didn't have an idea, and I didn't even know what I was getting into. I mean, it really was uh, tough at, at first, you know, working for such a taskmaster like uh, Coach Riley, and uh, he really was demanding and, and really set up uh, kind of, you know, the baseline for my, you know, work ethic and, uh, you know, stuff I really relied on as I moved forward. 
Hey, Eric, walk us through the process. I know there had been rumors for a long time that Pat Riley was going to step aside at some point. Obviously, he's getting up there in age and he's had a Hall of Fame career. How did he approach you and say, all right, Eric, I'm handing the reins over to you and uh, you're our guy? Well, he kind of hinted at it, you know, the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, he'd make jokes about it. Uh, you know, hey, you better get ready. And uh, just kind of got my, frame, my uh, mind kind of working in that direction. And after this season, obviously we finished, you know, very poorly with 15 wins only. But uh, he decided pretty quickly about a week after the season that uh, he wanted to step down. And, and we met for about three hours. And he said that, uh, you know, he wanted to step down and, uh, and hand the, the head coaching job over to me. And uh, just kind of went from there. That's a great – I mean, you must have just sat there thinking, gosh, uh, look at how far I've come in 13 years. You've put in so much hard work. But uh, what an endorsement for Pat Riley, a Hall of Fame coach, to say, all right, Eric, I see your traits and I see your qualities, and uh, I want to give you your first head coaching opportunity. That must have been an amazing day for you. It meant a lot, and really because of the relationship that uh, we've built over the 13 years, and, and he's had a tremendous influence on, on my life and profession. You know, really as a mentor, uh, you know, as my boss, and he taught me so much about uh, the game and uh, and how to how to be a coach, how to handle the business of basketball, and how to be a leader and and so forth. And it really did mean a lot to me. And uh, and I really look forward to working with him in the future. It's not as if he's moving on. I hear so many people say that, oh, you know, he's retired, he's gone. No, he's still the leader of our franchise, and and we'll be running the franchise from the president's chair. And I look forward to uh, working for for him and, and together with him trying to get this thing back to where we were. I'm joined by Eric Spolstra. He is the new head coach of the Miami Heat. Eric, when I look at you, I see kind of NBA coach 2.0. You're 37 years old. You're intelligent. You've got a lot of energy. You've used technology to kind of help you gain an advantage against your opponents. You read books like Freakonomics and Blink. Um, I, I kind of put you in that class with guys like Theo Epstein, Billy Bean. I know they're GMs, but you know, when I look at you, I see a new breed of NBA head coach. How would you best describe your overall approach to coaching? Well, it's, it's always got to be a comfort level with your personality. And uh, there's so many different ways and styles to win in the NBA. And I've seen it, you know, over the years. And, uh, and that's really just my personality. Uh, that I do come from a background of, you know, working. And I, I've worked quite a bit with computers and I, I am an, you know, I like the numbers and that's kind of my comfort level. And hopefully that'll, that'll be something that, that I can transfer over, you know, some level of success, but ultimately it becomes, it's about the relationship you have with the players and the connection you have with them and, uh, and their comfort level that they can go out there and compete with confidence. And so I think Ultimately, that's really the most important thing, and uh, you know the technology and that type of thing. I, I, I will use that as much as I can because it is a comfort level for me, and it still remains to be seen if that will have a factor. You know, I look at coaches like Phil Jackson, who gives his players books on a regular basis and challenges their minds as well. Um, it seems like being a coach these days at the pro level is also kind of like being part-time psychologist. Would you agree with that? It's probably part-time psychologist, part-time motivator, part-time teacher, coacher, mentor, you know, all of those things fall under category of head coach in the NBA. And uh, so many things encompass that role. And, uh, and there's so many different challenges every single day. But again, I get back to it. It's, it's all about the connection with the players and uh, 
where they feel that you can help them uh, be successful. And so hopefully that's something I can do from the, the head coaching chair. You know, I see your relationship with Dwayne Wade. He's given you a lot of credit for really making him the player he is today. I mean, obviously he came out of Marquette with some amazing athletic skills, but uh, you've really helped him hone those skills and become a fantastic NBA player. Um, Talk about your relationship with Dwayne Wade a little bit. I mean, here's your guy. He's the guy you're building your team around, and you're going from an assistant to the head coach position. Um, Have you had discussions with him about your transition? Oh, yes. Uh, we've talked several times on the phone. And in fact, I was just in Chicago earlier in the week uh, just checking in with him. Uh, you know, he's working vigorously with uh, Tim Grover up there trying to get uh, healthy and get his legs right, not only for the Olympics, uh, but also to get 100% healthy for our training camp next year. And uh, he's extremely motivated and uh, really ready to redeem himself and the team you know, for next year. But uh, our relationship has been great, and it's been one that's been developed over five years. And, uh, you know, I I don't like to take credit for that because that's really him, and that's about his work ethic. He's really the one that was knocking on my window and and had the drive and and really wanted to improve, and and he always wants to add something to his game. But that's something within himself that uh, really makes him special. But uh, in terms of our relationship, yeah, like we've been through the greatest times of championship, but also, you know, some real tough times, adversity, and uh, I think that strengthened the bond, and, and there's certainly a level of trust uh, from that. Now, you've worked for Pat Riley. You've also worked for Stan Van Gundy, two guys, you know, taskmasters, uh, workaholics, just basketball junkies. Um, from everything I've seen and read about you, you're kind of a basketball junkie as well. It, it's, it seems like you couldn't help but have that rub off on you from working with those two guys, right? <laughs> right. You know, people talk about that all the time. Like, how early do the guys, uh, you know, from the Miami Heat get into the office? It's not a competition at all. I mean, a lot of us just like to get in early uh, just because it's quiet. But uh, uh, I often get in there, you know, before, you know, the sunrise, and I'm rarely even the first one. The video guys, you know, a lot of those guys stay the night and, you know, they're working all crazy hours in the evening. And as a young coach, you know, when I was coming through the Miami Heat ranks, it really does have an influence. You know, you see uh, coaches that have been in the business for so long who have such a passion for the game and passion for coaching and teaching. Uh, it definitely uh, rubs off on you. Now, you were a ball boy for the Portland Trailblazers long ago, and I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Rick Adelman was uh, coaching the team when you were a ball boy. Did you pick anything up from, from him in your days uh, as a ball boy with the Blazers? Well, I wasn't specifically a ball boy, but I attended all the games. And uh, I was certainly a fan. You know, when I was young, my father worked for the Blazers, and I went to, you know, all the home games. I had to have been the only kid of – you know, somebody from the staff that went to all the games and I uh, went to practices when I could. I attended summer practices and and stuff of that nature. But, uh, you know, it kind of had an influence on me in terms of it stoked my passion for the game. And uh, I wasn't really directed into coaching by my father, but I was around it enough that uh, and I saw people that uh, were really – enthusiastic about coaching and teaching at a young age that uh, at some point during high school or college, I, I realized that, that was something I wanted to get into. What do you think about the balance between burnout and, you know, being uh, a workaholic? I mean, it seems like there's this fine line that, uh, 
you know, you can burn yourself out if you don't recharge your batteries every once in a while. We see it not only in the NBA, but in other professions as well. Uh, what do you do to recharge your batteries? Are you able to do that? Or are you so driven, kind of like uh, Riley and Van Gundy, that you're not able to hit the off switch every once in a while? Well, I think uh, I think everybody has some kind of outlet. And, that, again, that's my comfort level. You know, I like to grind it and, uh, you know, for – Better or worse, I am a little bit of a grinder, and that's my comfort level. And, uh, you know, as a release, a lot of times I just, you know, I, to clear my mind, I like to get out and run. You know, for half hour, 45 minutes, it's a great mental release, even more than uh, physical benefits from it. I also like to read. Uh, but uh, the, just the nature of the game, it's so competitive. You know, almost every staff is, is really grinding and, and working a, a ton. We're joined by Eric Spolster. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Eric, just a few minutes left. You know, you're the first Asian-American to be named head coach of a U.S. Major League Sports team. That's really quite an accomplishment if you think about it. What does that mean to you on a personal level? Well, I'm very proud of my heritage. And, uh, you know, I'm Filipino, Irish, and Dutch, so I don't think there's many of us running around. (laughs) Uh, No kidding. (laughs) But uh, it does mean a lot to me uh, just to – to be a part of of something unique, and it just shows that uh, you know opportunities are available for for anybody out there. And uh, and I took kind of a, a different path than many, but uh, the fact that I've gotten to this point shows that uh, you can be any any race or, or color, and uh, and still be able to succeed and, and do stuff that you want to be able to do. Since you took the job, I know you've reached out to some of your peers in the NBA, but also some other people who are first-time coaches in their profession. Uh, how have those conversations gone? Do you care to share any of the uh, tidbits, pieces of advice that uh, people have given you? Uh, the coaches that I've, I've spoken to around the league, and some of them you know, I've already been friends with, Lawrence Frank, uh, Mike Brown, these guys are my peers, and we kind of came in the league at the same time, so they're about my same age range, but uh, everybody's been very helpful. I mean, it's very competitive once you get into the season, but, uh, you know, in the off season, it's a little bit of fraternity, and uh, and guys do want to see other other peers succeed. So, you know, some of the tidbits, the main things have been, you know, you got to be yourself, and uh, something that I was already thinking about, you know, coming into this, I can't try to be, you know, anybody else, and uh, and really just be comfortable with myself and, and move forward, you know, from there. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier the Heat only won 15 games last year, and it was an interesting season. Dwayne Wade was hurt a lot. Uh, obviously, you traded Shaq for Sean Marion, so he's a new face on the team. As you prepare for your first season as an NBA head coach, what are some of the things that we're going to look at next year when we see the Heat running up down the court and we're going to go, all right, here are the traits of an Eric Spolstra coach team. That That team shows us that he's leading this team now. We know he's in charge. Well, I think uh... – Defensively, I think that we will try to do it, you know what we've done over the years. We've been one of the better defensive teams right. over the years, and that's something that's always going to be, you know, a staple for the Miami Heat organization, and, and that's part of our culture is uh, defending and playing hard and being, you know, in condition. You know, in addition to that, offensively, uh, it depends on who we're going to have on our roster come next October. But uh, in terms of who we have coming back, we feel very good about. You know, our young core. It's exciting, uh, young and athletic, uh, you know, built around Dwayne Wade. And uh, with the draft pick we have coming up next month, we feel that uh, we can take advantage of that speed and athleticism. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that draft pick, I'm not asking you to talk about specifics, but it's pretty well known that 
Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley, the two guys that are coming up in this draft seem to be most to everyone's one and two. What do you look for? I mean, you're going to sit down, you're going to watch these guys, you're going to interview them as any of the teams do. What do you look for when you're wanting a basketball player on your team? What are the traits you look for that say, hey, this is a guy I want playing for me? Well, uh, obviously ability is one thing, and it has to fit into you know what we need. And uh, coming off 15 wins, obviously we do have a lot of things that we need to add to this roster. But uh, it starts with ability, and uh, we also look into intangibles like character and uh, work ethic and heart, how hard people play, how coachable they are. And, uh, again, we feel very excited about the opportunity. Uh, we have the second pick in the draft. Uh, we know we're going to get an impact player. And uh, a little bit of decision-making is out of our hands, you know, due to Chicago having the number one pick. But uh, it's a great opportunity for us. And uh, it's a great first step for us to to make, you know, an improvement to our team. Yeah, whoever you add to Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, I think in the East you can seemingly get back to the top a lot faster than you can in the West. So it seems like you definitely have that as an advantage. Last question. You know, Pat Riley is legendary for his intense practices. There's a lot of free agents that have said, I'm not going to sign in Miami because I just don't want to go through those practices. What are your practices going to be like starting uh, this October? Well, our practices will be dictated on the, you know things we feel we need to improve on, but uh, certainly they will be hard, they'll be intense, but uh, hopefully it'll be inf- efficient. And uh, we'll try to keep them as efficient as possible and, 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 and keep it to around... Uh, you know, hour and a half or hour and 15 minutes, but it just depends. It'll depend on the season time, you know, situation, our health, things of that nature. Uh, but um, it's an exciting time for the Miami Heat. You know, even coming after a, a season with only 15 wins, we feel very good about the players we have coming back when they're healthy, uh, that it's exciting, young, athletic, and then we can add a couple players this summer. Well, Eric, I think you're going to do a fantastic job as the head coach of the Miami Heat. I think the team has a bright future. Guests appearing during our sports segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Eric, good luck in Orlando this week, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Uh, Congratulations again on being the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Green Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back with our final segment, and the Spelling Bee took place this week, and it aired on ABC and ESPN. 
And the contestants were compelling, Nathan, but they weren't nearly as compelling as one lovely Erin Andrews, who made her debut covering the Spelling Bee this week. Well, ratings are always pretty high, surprisingly, for the Spelling Bee. I'm interested to see how ratings do now that Erin Andrews is in the picture. I don't know if these kids are paying attention to Erin Andrews or paying attention uh, on how to spell the word nomenclature or something like that. I'd love to see a study done of here's the ratings an event got before Erin Andrews, and here's the ratings the event got after Aaron Andrews. We'll get to see the spelling bee, but, you know, college football, college basketball, the College World Series, she'll be covering that probably in Omaha. I'd love to see events without Aaron Andrews and events with Aaron Andrews because I would almost guarantee you that for the 18-54 to 54 demographic, Aaron Andrews makes a big, big difference. I'd love to just see all events with Aaron Andrews. Well, ESPN, see, but as we've said many times on the show, my pet peeve with Aaron Andrews is I hate when they go to her, but they don't show her, and you just hear her voice. If you're going to have the lovely Aaron Andrews on the air, show her. I want to see her. I don't want to just hear her voice. It's like if Brian Berger was on TV. you got to show him no, on the air. I'm the exact opposite. You don't show me, and you just hear my voice, and that's why we're doing a radio show and not a TV show. All right, lots of thank yous on the show this week. Eric Spolstra, the new head coach of the Miami Heat. Uh, really good to catch up with him. I think he's going to do fantastic work in Miami. I think Pat Riley is going to look like a genius for hiring Eric Spolstra and giving him his first opportunity. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. And our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. An action-packed sports weekend on tap. Enjoy your sports weekend and your week ahead. We will see you right here on Sports Business Radio next weekend. Have a great week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Malouf. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>